that's what I want to talk about here today. We are sandwiched in between these two series. We're going into a series where we're going to be sharing the, 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 the story of Christianity, the gospel story, but we've just come on the heel of a series for four weeks where we talked about faith, where we've heard God's call to go deeper in our faith and to have a more living, vibrant, experiential faith with God as he calls us out into the waters. And so today I want to talk about how we can share that faith. It's a word, a churchy word that we use for that, you might be familiar with, is uh, evangelism. And so I want us to, to kind of get a new way of looking at evangelism and feel uh, Christ's invitation and call and challenge when it comes to sharing faith uh, this morning, specifically through the book, uh, story we find in Luke chapter 19. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And in this, I think we're going to find and be pressed a little bit about how we look at sharing our faith and how we look about proclaiming our faith through the example of Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says this, He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. When I was in a time where I was overly zealous and extremely passionate about my faith as I was starting out in my undergraduate studies at Bowling Green State University. I had a mission to share my faith. I felt a deliberate call to share my faith. I wanted to pour out whatever God was doing inside of me. I wanted other people to know about it. And there was an occasion that happened when I was there that I have not forgotten. I've keep it in my mind and my heart to this day, uh, maybe not for the reasons you might think, but I had this moment in my mind that was so impactful for me when it comes to the concept and the example of faith sharing. What happened was I went to a class early and no one was there, not even the teacher or the professor, so I went into the, uh, to the building, into the hallway. The lights were even dark and they weren't even turned on in the hallway yet. So I sat down on a bench next to my classroom. And a few minutes later, another guy came into the hallway and sat down on a bench next to his classroom, the class that he was going to. He had gone early as well. And I thought to myself, this is a really great opportunity to witness, to, to share my faith with this other guy. 
So I said a prayer quietly to myself, and I stood up, and I put my backpack over my shoulder because I thought, well, maybe he'll have me come and sit next to him. We were about 12 feet away. Maybe he'll invite me to sit next to him and we can have an ongoing conversation. I can share more about my life and about why Jesus um, means all the world to me. And so I took my backpack over my shoulder and I went up to him and the following exchange took place. I went up to him and I said, hi, my, my name is Eric and now, I just feel called to tell you that God loves you. And he sat there, and he looked up, and he paused, and he said, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I went, I sat back down, and we stood there. We sat there in each other's places, in silence for a painstakingly awkward length of time, putting our heads down, not even acknowledging one another that of what had just, and certainly what had just happened. This was a moment for me of sharing my faith that I think about and I have in my mind because after that point in time, after this little failure of sharing my faith, I felt so awkward and so uncomfortable I ran away from any opportunity for years of sharing my faith after that. I didn't want to evangelize to people. I didn't want to make people uncomfortable. I didn't want to have that awkward moment again. And so I ran away from it altogether. It was this moment that I have, even when I tell it, I still feel like awkward and embarrassed just even talking about it here however many years, 15 years later. Probably longer than that, actually. Man, I'm older than I think I am. Jeez. <laughs> I still feel that awkwardness. It had that big of an impact on me. And as I reflect on this, I realize that what I was doing in that moment, what I thought I was doing in that moment was what I was trained to do. You see, earlier in that year, I went to a workshop, a training opportunity, where I was to learn how to evangelize, how I was to share my faith. And this campus ministry had a presenter and they were sharing about evangelism and my expectation was that I was gonna you know, learn some scriptures and, and kind of learn the idea of evangelism and, and all of that. But what took place was a training to follow up on a specific method that a, that campus ministry was doing in that day called a pizza survey. What they would do is they would set up tables throughout the campus in the first couple weeks of, of, of school, of college, and they would hand out free coupons for a pizza at one of the local pizza stores. And to get this pizza voucher, all they had to do was fill out a form with their information and some questions about life and, and faith and all of that. And what this campus ministry had done was train their people then to follow up on that information, go to people's apartments and dorms and, and houses and all of that, and try to, to create a follow-up. And so what this presenter was doing was how to follow up on this particular pizza survey. And his training was, by and large, a training on how to be slick with my words enough that the person would let me in into the room to say more, eventually leading to this point where I can get them to say a, pr say a prayer with, with me. 
And what I'm looking back at and what I'm realizing now on that training and what had been shown and taught to me was that there was very little difference between sharing my faith and salesmanship. That what I was being trained to do was to win the sale. What I was being trained to do was to to seal the deal. And that was my concept of evangelism, of sharing my faith. And so when I approached, awkwardly, awkwardly approached that guy in that dark hallway, I saw it as my job to seal, to win that sale. Now I failed miserably and I ran away from any other faith sharing uh, encounter and opportunity that point after because I realized something that I'm not a good salesman. <laughs> I, I, I'm just not a, I'm not a good salesperson and because I'm not a good salesperson, I'm not really a good evangelist either and I think I'm just gonna leave that to other people. So we're gonna look at what it really means to share our faith. And we're gonna learn from an example of Jesus in Luke chapter 19. Now, a quick word of caution when it comes to the how-tos in the scriptures. Because there are times when we look at the way in which Jesus does something, and we gain a lot of knowledge, but it's not necessarily meant to convey to us that we need to do it that particular way each and every time. So one example is that uh, we have a story in the Gospels where Jesus heals a blind person. And the way that Jesus heals a blind person is that he spits on the dirt. And his saliva with the dirt creates mud, and he takes the mud and cakes it over the blind man's eyes and then goes and tells him to wash in a pool. Is that a mandate for healing prayer for the church today every single time we do it? Well, I haven't seen that methodology before, so I'm guessing that common sense tells us that that's not exactly the way that Jesus is telling us to pray for healing each and every single time. So it's a word of caution on the how-tos, but the way Jesus does things, the way Jesus goes about certain things is critical. It does matter, so I want that to speak to us and maybe speak over and against how we have viewed faith sharing or maybe how we have shied away from sharing our faith. And my hope is that we would be encouraged and we would be challenged as we enter into this new season in our new, our new sermon series. Evangelism is a unique word in the Bible because it's not there. You could look for it, but it won't be there. There's three references to a specific role in the church in the New Testament of an evangelist. There's a specific role that there are evangelists. That's a specific role that people had in the life of the church. And what we find in 1 Timothy is that the author Paul, he's giving instruction to this young leader, Timothy, and he says that he needs to do the work of an evangelist. And there's a little... Uh, It's not really clear as to whether Paul's saying this specifically to Timothy or if he's widening it to everyone that we all should do the work of of an evangelist. But where we get our mandate, where we get our command to go and to share our faith specifically comes from Matthew 28 in what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go therefore unto all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the very DNA of the Christian faith is a sharing DNA, That as we are to receive the grace and the mercy and the transforming salvation of God, we are then to share that good news with the world. So we come up with this word evangelism because evangelism, at least in the Greek, is 
A-U-N-G-E-L-I-T-S-O-M-I. How about that? A-U-N-G-E-L-I-T-S-O-M-I. I got it so good the first service and I blew it in the second one. And it simply just means to announce news. Announce news. To let out whatever news might be there. And in, in that definition is implied, first of all, that there is news good enough to share, and that's news that previously has not been heard and therefore must be shared. So who are the people? Who are the people that haven't heard the news that we are commanded to announce that news to? In Luke chapter 19, we have this fellow named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is labeled in society and amongst his peers as a sinner. And that he was, and I'll explain that in just a minute. But he also served as sort of an example of maybe the worst of the worst of the worst of sinners. In that day, Israel, Rome, was occupied by the Roman Empire. And the way that the Romans ran things is that they said that they would make a deal. That they wouldn't completely annihilate you as a people so long as you pay taxes. And by the way, we'll offer some protection if invading armies from other places come in. And so there was a tax involved in being an occupied, uh, um, an occupied people. But the Romans didn't want people to line up all day in and day out to, to give their tax. Instead, they hired people or they had their own people go out and collect those taxes. And there were certain entrepreneurs in the first century in Palestine that saw this as a business opportunity. Because the Romans, they wanted all their money up front. And there were certain people, the chief tax collectors, that would front the money and then go collect the taxes that were due. And because there was no billboard or bulletin that told the people what the, the standard going rate of tax was, the chief tax collectors could, could name their price. And so there was a reputation that began to evolve for these tax collectors and chief tax collectors that not only were they cheats and were they liars, but they were colluding with this occupying army against them. They were traitors. They were extremely despised people. They were completely left alone. They were unloved, and they were completely uh, reviled by, by the people. He was the worst of, of the worst. Now, what's some, interesting about Zacchaeus to me, when I look at the span of Jesus' ministry that we read in, in the four Gospels in the Bible, is that most of the time, Jesus spends his, his, his attention and his focus and his time on people that have been victimized in some form or fashion. People that are marginalized, that are oppressed, that are poor, that something has been done to them. Maybe life handed them a, a bad deck of cards and they were blind or lame or had some sort of physical ailment. Or maybe they were marginalized because of the way the society was structured in that day that they were considered to be the least of these. Or maybe they were cast aside or marginalized because of some, uh, some cultural or or, or racial reasons like the Samaritans. 
Even the prostitutes that Jesus would minister to, we could say, well, you know, they're very liable for, uh, for their behavior and what they were doing, but kind of layered into that is the idea that perhaps these women were coerced economically into that kind of profession. So most of the people that Jesus encounters, they have some sort of victimhood to them. They're victims or they're vulnerable in some way. And Jesus tends to them as a shepherd to, to give love and to mercy and to, and, to, and to care for them. But Zacchaeus is different than these folks, isn't he? He didn't come from a position, aside from his short stature, he didn't come from a position of, 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 of vulnerability, but, but from wealth, from he was a, sitting at a higher class in society than most people if he were a chief tax collector who was able to front the money. He was not of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Now, he was the, doing the oppressing for people that were vulnerable. And when I look at people like that, let's be honest, when I look at the corruption of people in major uh, Fortune 500 companies, or I look at corrupt people in the political world, my first impulse is condemnation. I want them to fess up. I want them to repent. I want them to, to make right everything that they did wrong. And I don't think I'm alone. <laughs> it gets so loud in the political arena, right? People want them to be held accountable for the things that they have, have done wrong, and they call for it. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Make right the wrongs that you did with your own hand. And yet, we don't see this approach with Jesus. Even though Zacchaeus is really the worst of the worst, he is doing the oppressing. Something that Jesus sees in Zacchaeus is different than I would see. Something that Jesus sees in Zacchaeus is different than what we probably, what, what, we, what we would normally see in someone like him. And it signals to us that God is up to something beyond or, or different than what would be natural for us. That God's saving work that is constantly in motion, that when God is chasing after each every individual person with his relentless love, when God is about the saving work of Jesus, that that, that work, that sa- salvation, that that work that God does, it's, it's God that, that does it. Now, I know that sounds kind of elementary, but this is something that I have forgotten, that God saves, we don't. God is the one that does his saving work. We, we don't do that. Our little salesmanship doesn't do that. Our little coercive language doesn't do that. Our little tricks in helping people to come to a point where we've said if they pray this prayer, then they're good, we can let them go. That doesn't do that. It's God that saves and that we don't. God, Jesus is up to something when it comes to Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus differently than we normally would would see them. And when we are called, when we are living out the call to share our faith, we need to trust in that. We need to trust that God has already been going before us, that when we're there, it's God that's at work, and that when we leave, God continues that work. It's God that saves and that we don't. And when we, yes, God has called us to this work. 
but we are vessels. And it's God that's doing the saving. We are the announcers. We are the proclaimers. We are the ones giving the message. We give this message in two ways. We do it not only through our proclamation, but we also do it through our demonstration. It's not just the words that we say. It's not just coming to the point where we're actually telling someone deliberately about Jesus. It's actually living the life that pours out naturally that Jesus is alive. It is living a life that becomes in itself a witness that when people look at us, they say, there's something going on with that person, and I want to know more about what it was. We are often in this tension where we feel that we have to come to the point of proclaiming only to neglect the call to demonstrate to demonstrate Christ in our life. Um, in 1 John 3, there, were, there was this issue as well. And it says, little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. We are the messengers, whether it's proclaiming or demonstrating, we are simply the messengers, and we must trust in the saving power of God that is at work is at work. And so Jesus, after Zacchaeus notices the crowd, wants to see what all the commotion is, climbs a sycamore tree because of his short stature, Jesus, who was on his way to Jerusalem, by the way, who was passing by, who was had a goal in mind of getting somewhere, stops his progress stops his own way, his own agenda, his own goal of where he was going, and stops and and notices Zacchaeus. He notices him. There's a certain love and compassion that is driving Jesus. Jesus looks at people like Zacchaeus a little bit differently than what we normally would. And it's that love and the compassion and the mercy that's driving him and leading him towards these actions. To notice Zacchaeus. To pay attention to Zacchaeus. To look up at Zacchaeus. And to speak personally with him. That's what love does. When love and compassion and mercy is driving the car, we stop along the way. We notice people. We see something through the eyes of God that we normally wouldn't see on our own. Love drives this whole process. How do I know that? Very famous scripture, John 3, 16. Most of you have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. The whole crux of the gospel message centers on the idea that love is what drove God to do it in the first place. What does it look like? Or what do we begin to notice if God's love is what is driving us, is what is leading the way, the compassion of Jesus. 
What does the compassion of Jesus lead us to see in different ways and to stop along our own journey of life, stop along where we, where we are, are going? He looks up to him. He's driven by love. This is the love that we have come to enjoy as Christians, have we not? We are so quick to talk and to reflect on how God loves us and how great that love is. We sing about it. We worship God because of his great love. We can feel and experience his great love. Is it so much then to share that same love with others? In a book by Eddie Fox um, called Faith Sharing, um, he says this. He says, suppose we respond to the gift of God's love. Suppose we say yes to God's love. In that moment, we make ourselves vulnerable. If we open our lives and receive God's love, we can express our overwhelming gratitude for such an unmerited gift by turning that love loose upon others. Sharing our faith is letting loose what we have come to enjoy in God. Don't mean to oversimplify it, but, but sharing our faith is simply letting out, letting loose, announcing what we have already come to know and enjoy in God. That as much as we sit here amongst our fellow Christians and proclaim how good God is and how loving he is and how we have been saved by his grace, we are called to sing that same song to the world to let it out, to let it loose, to go beyond these walls so that the world would know. It's the love of God that drove this whole thing in the first place and it's love and compassion that drives us to share it because it's good news worth sharing. And so Jesus then, beyond just noticing Zacchaeus, he does something that's very radical and maybe not radical in the way that we would think about it in our current culture. But Jesus, after noticing him, says, hey, I'm gonna go stay at your house. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, why would you invite yourself over? That's kind of rude, Jesus. There's a high culture of hospitality in the first century Palestine. Remember, this began with a sort of a Bedouin culture, people that were constantly on, on the move, and so hospitality became quite a, a life-saving gesture within society. Oh, and then over time, even though they were more stationary in, in where they lived, in the villages and cities that they lived, there were often caravans of people coming to and fro, and people needed places to stay in order for life to kind of work. And so hospitality was sort of folded in to the very fabric of life and what was to be understood. And so when Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna stay at your house, he's not saying, hey, I just wanna go have a meal, or hey, I'm thirsty or hungry, I need something from you. He's saying, I'm gonna stay, and in that culture, it could have been a week, could have been a month, could have been, could have been longer. And we don't know what length of time Jesus stayed with Zacchaeus, but isn't it significant that here we have someone uh, as dreadful 
and pitiful as Zacchaeus. Someone that the rest of the folks would just simply avoid. He was repulsive as a person. And yet Jesus is not only willing to come up to him, but to go and dwell in his very own house. He was willing to get close, to get close to home. There's something very personal about our homes, isn't it? We could even have people come over, but what would happen if someone were to drop by and after you letting them in would just start opening the refrigerator and eating your food? People don't have full access to where we live. Our homes are not open to everybody. Well, we keep our homes secure at night. There's something very personal when it comes to the home, and yet that is the very place that Jesus is entering and staying and dwelling in for Zacchaeus. Why? Because no matter how repulsive Zacchaeus was, there was something different that he saw. Love was driving him, and he was not afraid to stay for a while to form that relationship, to get to know him, to understand what makes him tick. And it was that very gesture from what we can gather in this story, it was that very gesture of love and acceptance, of noticing him, willing to learn who he is as a person, of really getting close to home. It was that very gesture that created the transformation for Zacchaeus. Now, maybe Jesus said some things Maybe Jesus led him to a a sinner's prayer. Maybe Jesus um, described all the things that he needs to believe in order to become a Christian. I don't know, It's, it's not there. All we know is that Jesus was willing to get so close to him and to stay with him and to form that relationship that Zacchaeus suddenly was transformed. And he decided to pay back all the wrongs that he had done, and then some. To make all of his wrongs right again. It is the full manifestation example of what it means to make that shift, to make that turn. It's the transformation that we have, many of us have experienced in, in Jesus, that, that we are called to, to have in the, and share in, in the lives of others. So simply want to just ask, what might be your barriers from getting that close? What, what might be the barriers of getting close, that close to home, in the way that Jesus gets close to home? Did you know that Jesus sometimes risked his own reputation to hang out with the drunks and the prostitutes and the sinners, that he was accused of those very same things? And he spent so much time with them that the religious folks said that he was becoming like them. He risked all of that to get that close. And we see that transformation happen in the life of Zacchaeus. What does it look like to get that close? This week, I was gathering with a bunch of pastors, and we were learning about faith sharing, believe it or not, and um, they took us through this exercise, and It was really amazing. It was a bunch of pastors, and we've been pastors for a long time, and here we are sharing our faith stories. It was so sacred. It was just such a sacred moment. And what it does is this particular sheet asks us to form my own story and how I would share it. 
And it says to come up with just a word of, of how I would describe Jesus. And Jesus is a lot of things, but, you know, what's, what's that one thing that really comes out of my own story? And then out of that word, form, um, answer three questions. You know, what happened before? What was my life like before Jesus? And then describe how I met Jesus. And then finally, what would happen after, what happened after Jesus? So I just want to, I just want to share this with you, if that's okay. I want to kind of as an example of what I filled out. It asks, Jesus is my blank, and it says, I said, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my friend. Before, before Jesus, I grew up in church, but it was a place to go socially. It taught me some good things, but no more than a self-help book. I met Jesus before my senior year, of high school. I met some people that talked about Jesus differently, that Jesus wanted a relationship with me, and I asked God to, to, to have a relationship with Jesus. And after Jesus, I've been through all kinds of experiences and encountered all kinds of people, but instead of relying on religious rules of self-help principles, I have full access to God in relationship. I want to give you permission to share the gospel story with those around you. But as people of faith, it's, the gospel story is also your story. It's being lived out in, in your life. And you have a testimony. I wonder, right, I want to give you permission to allow yourself to just come up with your own story that you can share with the world. Is there more to learn after that? Yeah. Is there more to know after that? Yeah, there is. Do other people have different kinds of stories? Yes, they do. But what is your story? Now, I don't know if people around you are in the right place to come and, and hear the, the presentations that we're gonna make over the next four weeks. Maybe they are. I'd ask that you not force it if people are not ready because more important than a four-week sermon series that we're gonna be doing is the call that you have and the work, the saving work that God is doing not only in your own life but in the lives of those around you. And I trust that. I trust that God is already working through you, whether you realize it or not. So make yourself open to those opportunities. Develop your story, because you have a story to tell. And whatever Zacchaeuses you have around in your life, my prayer is that you'd see them with the eyes of Jesus. To see them not who they are before Jesus, but to see what they could be when Jesus gets involved. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray over these opportunities that, that God might be giving to you. Saving God. We stand humbled by your gift of grace that saves people like even like us. We're so grateful. 
And Lord, we know down to our core that it is news that is worth sharing. So as you provide opportunities to share you with others, let us do so with boldness and confidence, not in any methods or slick talk, but because of you. Because you're, the, the, the gospel is, is just so powerful. And that you and your spirit is, is, is at work as it's being demonstrated and proclaimed. We are humbled that you have called us to share your message to the world. Help us to be faithful to that call. And Holy Spirit, go before us. Speak your great power of good news to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just join in singing your response together. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. Sing, Lord, you have called us higher. 
People of God, you have good news to share. Share it with the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.